0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.
1: Hello, I'm Catherine Klein. I'm the Vice Dean for Social Impact at Wharton and a professor in the Management Department. And I am delighted to be here interviewing our guest, Jonathan Greenblatt, uh, who has an extraordinary career in the social impact space, every every uh, venue within that space. Jonathan, you are a senior fellow at Wharton, and we love having you here. You are a serial social entrepreneur with lots of experience in the business sector. You built uh, several successful brands, including Ethos Water, which many of us may know from buying ethos water when we're not buying coffee at Starbucks. So you've had successful exits. Uh, you're an experienced corporate executive. you worked at Starbucks. You've worked with Google. You've been in politics. You were uh, a member of the White House, a director of the Office of Social Innovation and Civic Participation at the White House until quite recently. Uh, and you will soon take the role as national director or, or CEO of the Anti-Defamation League. So this is business, government, nonprofits, uh, and uh, I I think today I want to focus on this. This title we've we've said this. Your experience as a serial social entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. and talk about the business of social impact. Sure. You want to start with uh, when you think of yourself, and you Uh get this. You're obviously comfortable with the label serial social entrepreneur. Uh Let's start with what's a social entrepreneur.
0: So I think about a social entrepreneur based on a definition that was laid out many years ago by Sally Osberg of the Skoll Foundation and Roger Martin, who's the dean of the Rotman School of Business uh, up in Canada. I think about a social entrepreneur as someone who tries to create change Mm -hmm. through a market-based approach that's about taking direct action, so not necessarily lobbying or doing advocacy, but literally going in and creating something that is trying to do so in order to create or let's say fix a broken disequilibrium. So it's not someone who's trying to do something on the outside that isn't causal, but instead trying to create systems change and repair a difficult societal ill. So the social entrepreneur creates direct action to fix a broken system.
1: For profit necessarily?
0: I think it can be both. Mm-hmm. So I think you can see social entrepreneurs in the nonprofit space who use that sort of model to attack a particular issue in a field. It could be healthcare, it could be housing, it could be micro it could be finance. I I personally am more interested in what we've seen in terms of social entrepreneurship in the business community.
1: Okay. So let's talk about that, social entrepreneurship in the business community. And let's start with, uh, with Ethos Water. You were relatively early in this space. We've uh-huh. seen a lot of evolution. Uh-huh. What, what did you try to do in, in Ethos Water? Talk, brag a little bit. What have been the successes well, and the, the wisdom of what you created?
0: Sure. So Ethos Water started with my business partner, Peter Thume. We were roommates in business school at Kellogg for two years, which is a lesson for all the young Wharton students out there as they think about their classmates. Uh, Peter had this idea of creating a bottled water that would use part of its profits to fund humanitarian water projects as we initially thought about it. He thought about it initially. Over time, we we then started the company. And over time, our model evolved. And when did you start the company? We started... Pete started working on it in 2002, and we came together in late 2002, mid-2002.
1: And when did you sell the company to Starbucks? We
0: sold it in uh, April of 2005. So fast. fast. Yeah, pretty fast. Uh-huh. And it's funny. You see this pattern of starting, scaling, and selling on a pretty rapid time frame in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley all the time. Right. In CPG or in other kind of categories, it's a little less common. Right. Nonetheless, the model was predicated on this notion that we could connect consumption to the cause. So if you look at the first generation of social enterprises in the business world, businesses like uh, Ben & Jerry's
1: yeah.
0: or Body Shop yep. or Stonyfield Farms, here you had products and brands that were about ice cream or about yogurt or about you know, hand cream, lotion, personal care products.
1: Right.
0: That were not necessarily tied to the causes they sought to address.
1: They were organic, healthier, may have had better supply chain, more. That's right, right.
0: that's right. They they aimed in that, like, I think, you know, Ben & Jerry's didn't use recombinant bovine growth hormone. Right, right. But now consumers didn't understand that. And the body shop aspired to do things with better sourced inputs from the Amazon. But again, consumers didn't understand that. We thought consumers would understand this basic idea of bottled water, which is kind of an irrational category to begin with, connecting its consumption to clean water issues, so it's is a huge global problem.
1: so what's gotten more familiar and there uh, is a a one for one model. so right. so people may have heard from of a one for one model. We see that in Tom's shoes, perhaps mm-hmm. most famously, mm-hmm. and at least, and and I know they've evolved their model, but yep. it was, hey, hey consumers, you know, buy a cool pair of these shoes, right. and we will donate a pair of shoes right so Ethos Water is a little bit of a different. It wasn't, Definitely. hey, hey, hey uh, buy a buy a bottle of water from Starbucks. Previously, you and we will donate a bottle of water elsewhere. What what was it?
0: So our notion was, if you buy this bottle of water, mm-hmm. we initially aspired to donate up to 50% of our profits to fund humanitarian water programs around the world. And I say programs because it wasn't just a project right. or that kind of hardware like a like a new latrine. Mm-hmm. Instead, or, or a new, uh, like, well. And that matters. But the hardware is no good without software. So we also sought to do hygiene education mm-hmm. and to create sort of economic schemes that would make the water system sustainable. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that approach is really different than saying, I'm going to invest in a community here in order to create an ecosystem around water. is very different than saying, we'll give somebody a pair of shoes.
1: But there, it seems like it's different in at least two ways. Mm-hmm. One is, right, it's a commitment that's around we're going to donate 50% of our profits. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, you know, it's, not, it's not tied to uh, we're se- each one of our products we're yeah. selling. It's yeah. tied to our products. Yeah. And um, it's not tied to a particular solution, I'm going to give away a bottle of water. Uh, you had more flexibility, more ability to change the, an ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I think our approach, so let's take those two things, starting yeah. with the latter. I think our approach was more strategic, and the one-for-one model is often more tactical. Right, So we were investing yes. strategically yeah. versus technically giving someone something. Sure. It's more like it's not teaching a man to fish. It's creating an ecosystem around a fishery ecosystem rather than giving someone a fish. Right? right. But on the, f- on the flip side, look, I will say that I think Tom's and Warby Parker and these other businesses who are endeavoring to do this model, I think it's admirable. I, I think we should encourage them. Right. I would simply say I think the model can continue to evolve in ways that create more enduring change. And you know what else? Connect the consumers to the issue more effectively.
1: Though I would argue that can, when you, you know, the, the simplicity of the hey, buy a pair of shoes and we'll give a pair of shoes away uh, may not be the right solution. And I know Tom's is, yep. has been criticized and has evolved their, yeah. their model. Yep. But from a consumer perspective, it's it's very concrete, very clear.
0: Well, now you're kidding some of the key. So the consumer wants to understand hey, I do this, what happens? Yeah. So our slogan was every bottle makes a difference. Helping children get clean water. Right. Simple. I buy this water, someone gets water. Yeah. But the facile, I buy this water, we give someone a bottle of water, that's crazy. Right. And so we, d- we thought it would be more respectful of con- the consumer's intelligence right. to have a model that was honestly more intelligent and smarter. With that said, um, I do believe that TOMS and Warby are evolving their approaches Absolutely. to accommodate for what is the complexity of the issues. Sure. And as a consumer's... As consumers' awareness has increased, their expectations have increased, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. demand more from these brands than just, the, oh, I buy it, you give it away.
1: Right, right. So, you know, you started this company. By the way, you
0: know, Tom's didn't start it. You know who started this model? Nick Negroponte started this model. Remember the one laptop per child?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. The way
0: he went to market out right. of the digital lab at MIT, right. and he had a great partnership with companies who helped. You buy a laptop, initially he was going to give them away, and then he realized, you buy a laptop here, we'll give one away over there.
1: Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So if that's the start of the one-for-one model, mm-hmm. and your, your company was an early social enterprise, mm-hmm. what are you seeing in the space as you look at the new ways that businesses, and let's stick with the, the business enterprises, yeah. the new ways businesses are engaging in social impact whether you want to be thinking about social enterprise or corporate social responsibility or the places they're they're blending, yep. what are you seeing that you think this is interesting and and there's potential here if, if we can grow this in the well, what's, sector? Well,
0: what's what's interesting, I think, is you certainly are seeing lots of innovation in the supply chain or the value chain. More and more, give
1: us an example. Well,
0: more mean. and more businesses are, are using um, more sustainable supply chains. Mm-hmm. So think about a business like. Um, Oh, I don't know. Like, a, so a Tesla would be an example, right? So it's a better battery, and it's produced in a way that makes the car more right. efficient. Right. We They're, hear
1: this a lot about about Nike, for example.
0: Exactly. So there are interesting models where it could be the inputs, mm-hmm. if you will, or the materials. It could be the labor force. So there are businesses that are trying to use labor forces, let's say, overseas, and give their workers better opportunity. Even here at home, Even here at home the I'm company sure. in Detroit. The watch company in Detroit is doing this, whose name I can't seem to remember now, very right. unhelpfully. One but
1: watch, one. I think it's got the word one in it. <laughs> but, there, but, there,
0: you, but you're starting to see some interesting models like that. So from a, it could be the labor force. It could be the materials. It could be the way you go to market, right, like using climate-friendly vehicles to deliver your product, if you will, or something. So that stuff, the supply chain work is interesting. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are businesses who are doing interesting things on the back end, basically how they give away part of their profits. Right. Uh, I think the interesting things are happening not in the value chain and in the profit distribution, but on the front end and how these or- businesses are getting created mm. and yeah. how these businesses are measuring their impact. So
1: great. So let's, let's talk about let's both go those, those things. Yeah.
0: So the first side, you know, we've seen and we're here in Philadelphia, which is the headquarters of B-Lab, right. the organization that has developed this interesting model of certifying companies. Right. Um, and you get that certi- you take their audit and you get that certification and you get this b corporation status.
1: Right, or there's actually right a distinction between the legal status of being a, a B corporation a benefit corporation and the certification process yeah. of of being B lab exactly. certified. And and the you know just to clarify the the B lab certification is assessing uh, multiple aspects of the company, right? Mm-hmm. What is its workforce, what is its mission, what is its environmental impact? and so on in all the ways that this could be a mission-driven company. That's
0: exactly right. right. So their certification process is what's interesting to me because we're seeing all kinds of businesses start to adopt this, businesses you might not expect. Right. Consulting firms would mm. be an example mm-hmm. like, or different companies who really don't fit the Ben & Jerry's, Tom Shoes, Ethos Water Model. Right. Um, now, as you were saying, we're now starting to see policy catch up with this as different states are accommodating for and allowing businesses to incorporate as for-benefit companies, right. using, in many cases, some of the stuff of the B Corp um, certification process. So that's very interesting because as we see more and more businesses take those principles and put it into their charter, right. make it part of the way they serve, not just make it explicit part of their value proposition to serve stakeholders as well as shareholders, that's really different and that flips Milton Friedman on its head. Right. So that's neat. And then kind of related to this becomes the way that we measure value. So let's
1: let's pause for a moment. I want to sure. get to there. But I know one of the questions that that um, you know that I've heard about this B certification is okay, this B certification, and you know, if you believe in these social missions, you believe businesses can do this, this is good. And yeah, we kind of know that that consumers may be interested. But m- the vast majority of these companies uh, are, are, are private companies. Sure. A few of them have gone public mm-hmm. um, or been acquired. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of those question marks out there is, what happens when they go IPO? Right? Did, you know, will people look at this company and say, wow, we want to invest like crazy. This has so much of a social mission and an economic mission. Or will, this, will they say, hmm, that's nice. Economic mission, probably just okay, given the social mission. And what are the assumptions that investors may have in their heads about a company that's mission-driven, you know, be certified, and is it worth investing? So that's It's it. an
0: interesting question. I don't think we know the answer yet. You know, today, as the day we're recording this, Etsy mm. just filed. For, they filed for the public offering 90 days ago. They're going out today. They'll start trading today. We'll see So we'll see have, how we'll it have goes. one case at least we'll today. Right. And there's another firm. There's an email marketing firm in North Carolina that I think is out. But Etsy will be the most prominent public equity with the B status. Yeah. So that's fascinating to see how it plays out. When there are questions in the boardroom, shareholders versus stakeholders. When there are questions in the annual meeting, shareholders versus stakeholders. Who wins? Right. Hard to say. Right. Um, so I think we're going to work those things out. On the other hand, we do have lots of big companies who aspire to be better for the world and don't even have that status. Right. So think about Google, for example. Yeah, sure. Google's been very explicit with their "Don't be evil" mantra. They don't have B certification, yeah. and they are trying to maintain their line. Now, the way they've done it, right, is with the different the different classes of stock, mm. and the the controlling stock, if you will, is owned by the founders Sergey and Larry. I think mm. maybe Eric Schmidt, mm-hmm. but. All of the shareholders, the common shareholders, don't have the controlling stock that they do. Right. So they continue to make the strategic decisions for the company because right. of these two classes of, of right. equity.
1: Right. And Whole Foods would tell you, I know we've been we were recently speaking uh-huh. with uh, the co CEO Walter Rob. I mean, he was very explicit. Hey, our purpose comes first, and our profits follow. And very much sees the mission driven elements of of Whole Foods.
0: Uh, Howard Schultz would say the same thing oh, at yeah. Starbucks. Right. Sure. Right. Um, You know, we see other corporate leaders beginning to adopt a similar mantra. You know, Richard Branson has started this thing called the B team Mm. with corporate CEOs who are trying to aspire to similar, a dual mission where purpose theoretically comes before profit. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, if you don't have any profit
1: be very clear. And right, right? Right. Yeah. So, right. so it's it'll be interesting. Right, so, profit to see how this allows out. you, you know, and in, in the ideal world, what we hope we're seeing in this space is that the profit drive a virtuous cycle, right? That's right. Profit purpose drives profit drives purpose.
0: But we come back to this question that you raised earlier, which is, you know, as we see companies go public, and there are shareholders getting involved, how does that actually play out day to day? Right. What are the pressures upon those businesses? Yeah.
1: And then you wanted to talk about the other end of the spectrum. Oh,
0: measurement. Yeah. So I think ultimately, and this may answer the first question, as firms are de- beginning to develop integrated models to actually measure not just their financial performance, but their sort of social, environmental, right. et cetera, performance. So out of that B certification process has come something called GEARS, right. which is a measurement system, which is quite interesting. Um, Mike.
1: Gears, I mean, it's the impact in-
0: Global Impact Investing Rating System. Right. And that is being applied right now to funds yeah. to evaluate their portfolio. Right. And I think what's meaningful about that is it's creating the conditions in which these fund managers are looking at their portfolio of investments and say, how do we perform? Right. And by the way, that may be one of the most interesting things about B-Lab is not the 1,000-plus companies who now have the certification. Right. Far more businesses have taken the self-audit. Right. The fact that they have created the conditions in which entrepreneurs and executives, managers at all levels, are thinking about these issues, right. that alone is a contribution, right. I think, to the, right. to the, to the national right. conversation. Right.
1: Yeah, No, I've, I've heard the founders speak. I and mean, Essentially, it's like a checklist that says, huh, I'm not eating enough vegetables, am I? <laughs> right? you know? they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're reflecting on that.
0: Yeah, it's like a food plate of... Uh, Firm performance, right. isn't it?
1: Right, and the impact measurement piece, I think, is, is a really important piece to come to in this conversation because, um, you know, as as you know, when we've talked about this in the in the past, there's such there's so much that's inspiring in this in this space, but there are parts that are worrisome, right? That companies may come on board without a genuine commitment to social impact, without careful evaluation of what they're doing. And without uh, accountability to create an impact, and there's you know potential for abuse i I fear down the line as this as these kind of business become businesses become more and more common. So the a commitment to impact assessment and to accountability and transparency about this is what we're doing, this is what the real impact of our business is would seem to be a really important safeguard. It's
0: absolutely crucial. It's crucial for a couple of reasons. So number one, although I think millennials in particular, maybe in part because of social media, they can sniff out what isn't authentic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so brands that aren't really you right. know, true to this right. are often exposed. Yes. Right. Um, so that is a bit qualitative. But on right. the quantitative side, if we ever really hope to bring capital into this field at scale, if we hope to do the kind of comparative analysis that makes gives us the ability to analyze those public equities like we were just talking about, so you can compare Whole Foods' mm-hmm. performance to Super Value or to Kroger's right. or to Albertsons, we need a set of common measures by which we can judge their performance on something other than EPS. Right. Um, so I think it's important for that reason. And then thirdly, because if we really hope to create change at scale, we need a discipline and a rigor um, around measuring you know, quarter on quarter, year on year, how we're making progress on key metrics. Right. So, you know, you manage what you measure. Sure. So the advent of measurement systems, I think, augurs well if we want managers to be focusing on this.
1: Great. Jonathan, it's been fabulous talking with you. We need to uh, pull this to a close, even though we could keep talking for hours, I know. So great Hopefully insights. Hopefully we can do it again. I hope so. And great insights on the, you know, the business and social impact. Thank you. I'll Thank you,
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.